The Matt Hasselbeck Show. Presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Seahawks legend Matt Hasselbeck takes you inside the Seahawks and the NFL for a full hour. Exclusively on the Mike Sock Show. Good morning, Matt. How we doing? Sock, what's up? Might have had too much caffeine today. I'm going to warn you now. I'm also on a little bit of a diet, so no. low sugar today. But it's a good thing. I'm fired up about it. So we'll uh, just just uh, just warning you, a though. post-holiday diet deal? Yeah. Uh, no, I started it. When did I start it? Wait, that's the thing. I can't even think straight. I don't even know what month it is right now. <laughs> I'm like, is it December 1 today? Wait, what, what am I doing? What do you look like that caused this diet? What's like a tw- You know there? what? It was like a friend, a friend that I actually used to train with in Seattle. I was like, hey, you want to do this thing? I was like, I don't know, dude. I, you know, it's just a 28-day commitment, 28-day body burn. I'm like, ah, maybe in a couple months. Totally forgot about it. Two months passed by, and he's like, hey, I'm just, I'm, uh, I'm going to send you your workout plan. I was like, oh, shoot. Uh, okay, no, no. <laughs> Now I'm stuck. I'm like, you know what? Whatever, whatever. I'll do it. 28 yeah. days. Let's go. And then yeah, I'm days? on day. Th- I'm on. Listen, I'm on day like 30 right oh, now. I'm you're like still doing great. It. So you're, you're loving keep- it. Well, I'm doing a 56 day. Right? He's oh like, well, God. there's a 56 day. I'm like, oh, keep going, keep going. You know, but anyway, you- today today's one of those days where I'm a low carb, low sugar, and a little bit high caffeine. You- just 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 so you know, you pro athletes are just you're too competitive for For-former. stuff. Former unbelievable. Former pro athlete. Well, still, but I mean, you still have it in you. Like, Brock is the same way. And just, you guys can't help but be competitive when it comes to these things. It's fun. It's actually fun. I've learned some new uh, recipes. I'm telling all my friends. If I can get Rex Ryan to join me on this, then I'll, then I'll really be winning. What are so, the chances we'll, we'll, of that? I would say it's like 50-50. He's coming off of a shoulder surgery this mm-hmm. offseason. So, uh, if you think that's 50-50, you really are delusional today and suffering <laughs> from not enough calories. You need more caloric intake. Unbelievable. <laughs> Um, all right, so we'll take this with a grain of salt, but obviously Seahawks uh, dropped 50 points on Detroit this week. What was different? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, it was it was really awesome. I, I think, like, to me, the game plan was different a little bit. Like, the amount of, I was charting the naked bootlegs uh, early, you know, as, when I was watching the game, and there were just so many, I feel like, lost count. I absolutely lost count. And, you know, people think about naked bootlegs. So there's like a tab in your playbook. It's called movements. It's keepers. It's basically where the launch point of the quarterback is going to change. It's not just seven to nine yards directly behind the center. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it keeps everybody honest. It keeps those pass rushers honest. Um, you know, up front for offensive linemen, it is literally like almost impossible to get a negative on your grade sheet on a naked bootleg. It's elephants on a parade. We all go left or we all go right. There's like no thinking. It's a free play for offensive linemen to tee off. And what it does is it keeps the defensive outside contained people honest. It keeps corners honest, safeties honest, the end man on the line of scrimmage honest. And you saw Rashad Penny just go off with explosive run after explosive run like that first touchdown the backside corner the backside end and the free safety they're hanging out like oh it's another naked bootleg and all of a sudden penny's like right up the gut for a huge for a for for a huge touchdown and it was all set up because of those nakeds 20 yard run 15 yard run so i thought it was awesome i think it's what they want to be and uh it obviously helps you get to do it against detroit who's struggling and uh all that but still they did it and it was it was really impressive do you so if i understand you is it the success that they had there is that more due to scheme more due to execution changes i mean what how does that happen where it hadn't been happening earlier in the year? 
Well, I think it worked against Detroit. You know, like that's one thing. So mm-hmm. the, the matchup of Detroit, you know, Detroit has bigger, slower, you know, old school defensive end types, right? And then they have corners who aren't great at tackling and stuff like that. But and they're and they're struggling a little bit. But it's it's a fine line. So, so between... hold on, wait, can I just stop you because I think that part's interesting, and I, I don't know that I would necessarily think that way. And I think most football fans don't necessarily go there. If I understand what you're saying. It's not just it's not that Detroit's bad. I mean, look, they were they're they're middle of the pack in terms of run defense this year in terms of yards per carry. But what you're saying is it's a good matchup because of some specific parts of their defense. They went to some of those plays that would work more against Detroit than other teams. Yeah, they used the naked bootleg to set up the run. So like they used naked first play of the game, naked bootleg type thing. Naked bootleg, naked bootleg, naked bootleg, knowing that they can get the edge on those defensive end outside linebacker types. You cannot get the edge against Chandler Jones in Arizona because he doesn't really care if you're running the ball. He wants a sack no matter what. You know, TJ Watt, he's not gonna let you get outside of him ever. You know, so like it works for these guys. So they use naked bootlegs to set up a heavy dose of run game. It wasn't like, you know, a lot of people on TV will say, oh, they use the run and then they set up with up, set it up with a play action pass. Yeah, sometimes. But other teams like Seattle in this game, they use the naked bootleg and the threat of Russell Wilson on the edge to help set up the run game and the run game delivered. That offensive line got no rhythm. And you've seen them do it for stretches, like in a drive or a, in a quarter this year. But it was just all clicking, and it was good to see. It was it was really good to see. How much of it do you think was Penny? Yeah, he's he's a guy like in kind of a lost season, a disappointing six and ten type season right now. He's a guy that has finally um, come into his potential. You know, I know he's been banged up and fighting a lot of adversity, but here's a guy that took an opportunity, and it was a very very small. A glimmer of hope opportunity and he has maximized it and i think pete's all about it i think he loves it and uh, you know i think the league has noticed like hey this this guy is a legit um prospect and he came in that way and then it just looked like it was just a swing and a miss but no that's not the case at all he's he's turned into a really good player in the run game and also in the uh in the receiving game a little bit i saw some folks comparing him to sean alexander i, I don't know whether you see that comparison but just sort of the Ability to to kind of make that one guy miss in the open field, and then you know he's a bigger dude who gets on you maybe faster than he looks. Yeah, you know I I don't see that comparison necessarily. Um, you know I I hate to like bring it up again, but like I feel like I see, I've seen a different version of him ever since Adrian Peterson well, showed that's what up. Pete it's, said. Like, it's like a weird. It's really weird. I mean, it's weird and it's not weird because when you share a position room with a player, you literally are spending more time with that player than you are with your own family. Like you are like everything about being with that person. Like I remember even when I went to Indianapolis with Andrew Luck. I'm almost forty years old at that point, and we're spending so much time together. Like I'm, I'm doing and saying things that he would do. He's doing and saying things that I would do. It's just, you spend so much time together, uh, talking through things and doing things that, um, you know, with Penny though, like it's weird because I feel like I've seen his weight listed at 220 and I've seen it listed at 236. So like, which is it? That's a pretty big, well, Pete said you know, this week it was in the two thirties. Brock says two forty five, which I don't think is right, but people, Pete said this week that he was in the, like, what do you say? Two thirty five? I think he said. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I'll just say for me personally, as a player, what, 
what I know what I weigh every day, right? And so like when I was in Seattle, it wasn't really about my weight. It was about more about a body fat percentage. Mm. But my weight was always, when I was a starter in Seattle, between 233 and 236. And that was never what was on the program <laughs> you know like it was it was like just some cut and paste from who knows when i don't even know who decided what got in there was it higher and you or know lower? They, well you never know like they, they they do it for like big guys they like don't put that they're 400 pounds or whatever and then then they give like a little little guy they're like well hey we don't want to put that you're 150 pounds so you know um the head coach would know exactly like literally on a daily basis or at least a weekly basis when guys weigh in exactly what somebody weighs mm-hmm well, I don't know, he's he's been a blast, man. I mean, just watching some of those explosive plays, as you mentioned, that ability to get into the open field, get through that first line, and then just the little sidestep move. Or he's got just really fast feet, and whether it's two twenty five, two thirty five, or two forty five, it just seems like it surprises guys how quickly he gets on them. Yeah, well, the second drive, I'll just say, creating a little bit of space for him to do that stuff. That second drive, which was the first touchdown mm-hmm. run that he had. It, I mean, go watch it. The backside end, really the backside corner, number 25, he is s- seriously like just sitting there waiting like, oh, I know this isn't really a run. This is a naked bootleg. And, of course, it's a run. And by the time he realizes it, he, the, you know, there's too much space for Penny in a corner one-on-one. And then the free safety, again, he's sitting back there, too much space. So it's all set up by that naked bootleg, and it fits together. And that's kind of what this offense, uh, I think, they've envisioned for it to be and it, it just hadn't hadn't been that all year consistently but it, it was uh it was on sunday hey how were you in your career at sc- at running screen passes i feel like screens were um you know really it was really important that what was being taught to the offensive line needed to be what was taught to the running backs and what was taught to the quarterbacks okay. and mike holmgren was so so uh adamant about what it needed to be, the non-negotiables. And we would practice screens on air. We would practice screens on defense that was set up for failure. Like, hey, defense, you're going to fail, but this is more for our rhythm and timing of it. And then we would practice uh, what, we would, what we would call best on best, ones on ones. Uh, defense, make it hard for us. And we put so much attention into it, but I think so much of it was dependent on the athleticism and the veteranness and savvy of our guards and our center. And we had excellent guys when it came to that in Robbie Tobeck, Chris Gray was awesome, and uh, Steve Hutchinson obviously was great as well. So that's, I think, why we were so good at screen. We've been trying to figure this out now for what seems like a decade of why the Seahawks offense, no matter who the coordinator is, no matter what the style, they just seem to not be effective running screen passes and you know we've thrown out every possibility under the sun i've even and i'm not a russell wilson's short guy but i've even wondered whether his height is a problem on those plays specifically because of the need to kind of peek over what's coming at him and try to get the ball to the running back you have a sense as to why this team just can't run a good screen play screen yeah, pass? There's, there, well there's a rhythm to it there's definitely a rhythm i'm not at practice every day but you know i think you practicing on air i mean kansas city chiefs mike holmgren andy reader from that same family they do it exactly the same in terms of like how they practice those things to me playing quarterback though it's kind of like playing shortstop or second base when you're running a screen it's just very much about quickness and 
finding a way to get the ball in the perfect spot because uh, it's a feast or famine type play. And I would think Russell with his baseball background would be very, very good at that. Right. But, uh, but I just remember this year, you know, kind of doing this show with you guys, breaking down all the Seahawks games. I feel like people run a heck of a lot of screens against us. <laughs> right. So, like, I mean, it's not like there's not, a, uh, you know. I think you just got to make it a point of emphasis. There's probably other things that are uh, in the points of emphasis phase and screen game, you know, maybe is lower on the, uh, on the ranking. Yeah. Well, maybe they have so much success with it in practice that they think it's going to work when they get into the game, but they've just been doing it against their defense. And so now they don't realize that other defenses are better at stopping screen passes. And that's the, yeah. And and there's, and sometimes you can outsmart yourself too. Like, uh, you know, there's something called like a, a screen, Basically, where the running back is on, say it's the running back screen, where the running back is on the same side as the as the ball is going to go. So he's on the right. It's a screen to the right. And then there's also something called a cross screen where the running back is on the right, but the screen is going to be to the left. Well, if you're doing something like that, now you got to coach and teach your left guard to be aware if it happens to be man coverage. He has to go basically block the guy that is in man coverage and he doesn't see what's happening behind him. So it, 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 it can get a little tricky and, and um, detailed, even though like to the casual viewer, it's like, Oh, it's just a screen. Well, well, what, what kind of screen was it? And I mentioned like earlier, like the naked bootlegs are in a movement tab in your playbook. There's a tab in your playbook for screens and some offenses that I've been in. That's like a two pager. And then other offenses that I've been in, it's like nine pages and I'll just say nine pages isn't always better. It's better to be really, really awesome at a couple screens than just very average at a lot of screens. Uh, we've talked a lot about their defense and specifically the middle linebacker position over the course of this year. Unfortunately, Bobby Wagner you know, went down with an injury at the first or second play of the game. What did you see change without Bobby in there over the course of the next almost 60 minutes? Yeah, you know, I thought those guys battled well. You know, it's tough when you come in as a backup and uh, you got to play the role of the starter and play as well as the starter without the experience, without the reps. Um, you know, I, I didn't think it was, uh, you know, the game was kind of out of hand at that point. It's kind of a weird game. It's tough sometimes when you play and you do put a beat down on a team like Detroit who has two wins, none on the road, and all of a sudden, like, you do everything you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So you don't really want to give anybody credit for it, you know. But uh, but I just think in general with this defense, and, and I feel like this way, like I think Bobby Wagner is an excellent player, like an excellent player. But, you know, someone at his age, you know, you really need the guys around you to be in sync and everyone doing their job. Like almost like we'd be, again, we'd be better off lining up and playing rather than like trying to trick the, the offense and over disguising and we're not all doing it together. And so I, I think just get putting the pieces of the puzzle together in terms of like, how are we all fitting together as a linebacker group tied in with our secondary tied in, you know, linebacker group tied in with our D, our D, D line. I, I think that's the thing that they'll probably be like a strong evaluation of this off season in terms of like who makes how much money and that kind of stuff. But 
I've I've told you many times, and I've said it on this show. I think Bobby Wagner's a heck of a player, and then there's there's a lot of criticism that comes his way that I I don't think it's uh, fully warranted. For well, him. and and now you know we're going to see what happens next, right? Because he's got an eighteen million dollars on the contract for next year. Maybe I, no one seems to think that he will play with the Seahawks at that number next year. So do do they find a way to rework the contract to a smaller number? Does he end up exiting Seattle? And I think there are going to be a lot of eyes on on Cody Barton this week. Maybe he ends up being a replacement or not, but I wonder if how he plays ends up affecting some of their decision making. Yeah, I, I, probably true. But you know, in any in any business, if they can find someone younger and cheaper to mm-hmm. do your job, they're they're gonna. Uh, it. I would also say that like when you move on, if you move on from a player like Bobby Wagner, you're not going to just try to replace him with Cody Barton. You know, nothing against Cody, but like it's it's more like there's a saying: kill a mosquito with a sledgehammer. Like we're gonna overdo it because we understand that this is going to be an, an unpopular uh, decision. Possibly, well, but. Sure. I guess what I wonder, though, is if, you, if you're going to let's say you can save 17 million dollars by making a move like that. Do, do you then go spend that and make sure that you've got a killer, you know, Bobby Wagner type of player, but at the defensive end spot or the defensive tackle spot or something where you might be able to make a, a greater impact on your defense? Yeah, well, I, again, that probably comes back down to scheme and what you're planning on doing. To me, I feel like when I look at this defense, the thing that's really, really missing is either two ways to say in it. And I know Pete Carroll and I disagreed the other day on, on air here about I think the disguise mm-hmm. of the secondary is hurting the secondary. Uh, and he disagrees. Meaning they're um, not disguising enough or when they disguise no, they're not like, doing it well. Yeah, like they're yeah, not doing it well. Like in the third quarter, that 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 long it wasn't a touchdown to the backup wide receiver Hodge that was down on the one yard line. Mm-hmm. It's just a go ball. It's like an inside go ball, and Diggs is a free safety. He's deep middle, supposed to be, <laughs> but he's not because he's disguising, being tricky. And the quarterback Tim Boyle drops back and throws kind of a line drive go ball inside for for almost a touchdown. It's down to the one yard line, like that. That's just, you know, the middle safety wasn't deep middle because he was trying to be tricky. Okay. You know, so, so like. problem I, one is disguise. To, to me, like you're over disguising when like literally if you just were deep middle, he never even throws the ball, mm-hmm. there, you know, in a, in a 38 to 7 game. So, I, you know. It's, so, but it's the, so funny to hear you say this because honestly, I feel like earlier this year, I heard people or maybe it was last year saying oh, all the Seahawks do is line up and play. There is no disguise. They don't do enough of that stuff. It's funny to hear you say it's kind of the but, opposite. Now. Oh, disguise is awesome. But like if it's a. a <laughs> It's got to be a really awesome disguise. It can't get. It can't screw you up. It can't screw you up more right. than you're trying to screw me up. But but I think what would be a fair conversation. And I think Pete would. I think is what Pete's rebuttal would be. Would be, that's not the problem. The problem is our pass rush needs to affect the quarterback, and that is legit. Like he is a hundred percent right about that. But if you don't have Michael Bennett having the best year of his career, then it's going to be. And you don't have a Legion of Boom. You you got something not that then it's a tough combination so like i think the best thing you could do for your back end your seven on seven players is have an amazing pass rush and you see that with the best defenses in the nfl you look at the dallas cowboys right now they were like really awful like historically terrible on defense last year but because they've got an incredible incredible pass rush right now they're creating turnovers left mm-hmm. and right. Quarterbacks are making decisions they shouldn't be making. The secondary is taking risks 
you know, educated guesses and great, great disguises, but more than that, educated guesses because that ball has to come out quick. And so I don't care who the secondary is. If you're not affecting the quarterback and you're not affecting the passer, it's going to be hard no matter what you do, disguise or no disguise. Yeah, I've I've even argued in the past, and and this may be a bit of a reach. I'm willing to own it if it is, that as great as the Legion of Boom guys were, that I think we might overrate them a little bit because of the fact that we underrate Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, Chris Carson, or Chris Clemens, et cetera, some of those guys who who were coming off the edge. And allowing the Legion of Boom to make so many of the big hits and big interceptions that they came up with. Yeah, it's team defense. And right. I, I would even throw in there crowd noise. Like any these pass rushers that get to play in the loudest stadiums in the in the world, that's a huge advantage. Mm-hmm. You're getting sacks that you would not be getting in other stadiums. That's so, just a fact. Yeah, so so ultimately, I guess, and maybe this is part of the answer to your question, I mean, this year, before Russ got hurt and before it kind of got away from them a little bit, this year was supposed to be about going good to great, right? They'd been a good team for however long, and they were hoping that Jamal Adams healthy, et cetera, this was going to be the good to great year. If you look at this team, what do they need to do to be great? Yeah, well, I mean, if you just look at the playoff run around the league right now, there's a lot of teams in the hunt that were – not good last year. Like, like they weren't playoff team. Look at Cincinnati. I mean, Cincinnati. What are they? The three seed right now? Like they they turned it around. I I believe your best players have to play their best football. The people making all the money got to play their best football. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase have put that team on their back. You know, they got a guy named Trey Hendrickson, and he's got fourteen sacks at least. Um, I think I don't even know that's his name. Trey Hendricks. Like, what? What if the dude's like, who is this guy? He just shows up like uh, 14 sacks. Uh, maybe it's more than that by now. So your best players got to play their best, and then it, that that it starts with that. If that doesn't happen, there, there's there's probably not going to be anything great about your team. Well, uh, we'll see how they're able to kind of make some changes there. It's been one of the frustrations, I think, for the last five or so years, really since Frank Clark left and maybe even a little bit before that, of like, how, how, do, you, how do you build a pass rush? And, and we, it's funny, we play this promo of you saying it in our, uh, on our station all the time. That's the, that's the thing. Get a pass rush. And, yeah. and find a way to, well, to, to go yeah. dominate. Can that. I can I say one more thing quickly? Yeah. Like I talked last week about dogpile, right? You know, like Pete came in with a couple of things yep. that I'll never forget for my entire life. Dogpile was one of them. Another one was his game, tips and overthrows. Okay, when anyone in that building says tips and overthrows, it's a game. Who is the first person that can say, "Got to get those." So tips and overthrows, got to get those. Tips and overthrows, got to get those. Like, that's a thing. And the whole building is saying it. And what was noticeable to me in the Detroit game was tips and overthrows, the intensity and the competitive competitiveness of guys on defense going for those balls. That mm-hmm. ball's up in the air. We are. It's like, I don't even know, like an adrenaline rush. Boom. Let's get on it. And they And I think it was twice. Where tips and overthrows, again, there's reasons for them, but once it happens, that competitiveness, uh, it showed up. And I think that's like an identity thing that the Seahawks have had in the past. And I don't know that we've seen it this year, but we saw it for sure a little bit in this game. Good stuff. All right, Matt Hasselbeck with me for the entire hour. It is the Matt Hasselbeck Show here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Uh, We will rank. uh, Matt, really, will do some ranking coming up in about 20 minutes. Before we do it, though, I want to ask you to follow up on something really important. I think you said last week. I will do that next. Mike Salk Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.
The Matt Hasselback Show, presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Every Wednesday from 9 to 10. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Yeah, Matt Hasselback with me, of course, as he is every Wednesday from 9 to 10. Matt Hasselback Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. We're ranking. We've got a good ranking coming up here. It'll be, uh, there's some self-deprecation even to the ranking today. It's coming up in 15 minutes. Matt, last week... Uh, Sock, you... there's always self-deprecation. That's true. <laughs> yeah, come on, who are we kidding? That's a, uh, that's a Hasselbeck family trait, right? Well, maybe not, actually. Uh, I don't know Your about brother's Tim. not I, self-deprecating I, I, at all. No, he's just arrogant. Yeah, well, he just likes to rip on you. Actually, he he loves to rip on you. He he did the uh, LSU Kansas State game last night, and he was interviewing Brian Kelly. I don't know if you caught any of that. Yeah, I did. And, and Brian Kelly's like, so funny. Uh, yeah, we don't have thick accents up in Boston, and like social media like flipped out. It's like, no, he's making a joke. He's just not funny, right? Like, Brian Kelly, his comedic timing is just it's, it's not good. No, I don't think he's a terrible person. He's just—he's not a funny person. Did, Good Tim, did Tim try to help not... him out in that moment, or he just got to no, let him, left him to let the him wolves? Go. Tim laughed. <laughs> I, they probably had a conversation before they went on air, and it was just a—it a com- was like a continuation of that joke. Yeah. But like everyone at home's like, Oof. "What? Yeah, what is this guy talking?" About? Didn't end well for Brian Kelly last night. Hey, last week you said that uh, if the Seahawks were to move on from Pete Carroll, they'd regret it. I'm, I'm paraphrasing what you said, but just uh, you know how how strongly. No, no, you you nailed it. I think that's, I got a pretty. That's exactly close. what I said. So no, I said that I said that would be a mistake. Yeah. So so just following up on that because it I, I you know I think that was that I think that was a powerful statement to a lot of people here in Seattle and I've heard some of the narrative start to change a little bit about what they need to do in order to move on. You know how 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 do you retain Pete and make this team kind of make everything hunky dory again? Well, you're you're banking on the fact that Pete is going to do what. He did, at least when I was there, every Monday was tell the truth Monday. And, like, we're not worried about feelings. We don't care how much money someone makes. We don't care how long we've been friends. Like, we're going to tell the truth Monday. If there's a problem that needs to be fixed, we're going to fix it. And if you do that every week in a in a season, like, I'm sure you do it at the end of the season. As a player, as a quarterback, I was not really privy to those off-season kind of evals mm-hmm. discussions, but I know how it goes down. You cut up your season every which way. We're going to watch every third down together together as a staff, individually, write your reports. Why were we so bad on third down? Well, was it scheme? Was it O-line? Was it quarterback? Was it receiver? Do we need to get better? Like, What is it? And you tell the truth, and it's sometimes things come into you – know, you get a little bit of clarity about, well, hey, no, you know what the problem was? The problem was this. And, and as long as you're doing that – then Pete Carroll, to me, 100% is the guy for the job. Um, now, if, if if for some unknown reason, you know, he's not able or willing to tell the truth and see the truth and, you know, whatever, which I would be shocked if that was the case, then then obviously there's a different answer. And, mm-hmm. then, you know, I don't know. But but uh, to me, to me, you're not going to find a better football coach and a better leader than than Pete Carroll. Well, and so you know, one of the other sides of this is if if the two sides with Pete and Russ et cetera can't coexist, and I think there's still probably a way for them to do so. It might take some ownership getting involved. It might take some accountability. It might take some role change, et cetera. But you know, if if there's not, then all of a sudden you're potentially out in the quarterback market. What does the quarterback market even look like? We were going through the free agents today. Tyrod Taylor's like the number one name on the free agent quarterback list this year. 
yeah, well, I've never bought into those lists. You know, uh, who comes up with those lists? But I, I would just, you know, I, everyone, there's a lot that's made about the, oh, can they coexist? Can they coexist? Like, why? Everyone, they, everyone says the right things. They're hugging and high-fiving and everything seems like it's nice. For me, it's it's more about nameless faces. Like, when you study tape, okay. you there's a thing called nameless faces. Like, we're going to say, oh, I don't care. I'm going to pretend I don't know the number on the back of the jersey and the name on the back of the jersey. I'm just watching the player play football. And I'm evaluating, grading off of that. But, um, but yeah, I think just every team, every team every year, they're looking for who's the next franchise guy. And free agency is a way. The draft, obviously, people are saying right now is not a strong draft for quarterbacks. That's what they're saying. But to me, like, you got to find, you got to find the diamond in the rough. To me, like, the guy that I love, he's probably on nobody's list, is the backup quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. Like, I think Tyler Huntley, kid out of Utah, I think he's, I think he's got something special. Now he's raw and he needs to be coached and he's, he's, he's been coached. I think he's a heck of a player. So I'm not saying this for the Seahawks necessarily at all, but, but, for teams that are looking for a quarterback that's not you don't have to go out and pay millions and millions and millions of dollars for uh i th- i think he's he's got an opportunity he's, he's an interesting one right i mean the way he's the way he's stepped in there and and played some of the same style that they get right from from their starting quarterback i just wonder a whether or not that that uh that his price tag has gone up not necessarily in terms of money but in terms that, of what it takes his, to acquire him yeah, and, but what, what, why do they don't need him? What, what, why on? Well, I, I wonder if the they Baltimore do. Ravens. I just wonder they if the Ravens say, "Hey, our guy may keep getting hurt, and we got to have a backup here that we can trust." To me, the Baltimore Ravens are sort of a disappointing team this year. They're eight and eight. They they could be shoot. I mean, they could be their record could be really good, but they are so banged up all over the place. They have no running back. They have no secondary. They're not getting a pass rush. Like they got problems. A backup quarterback is a luxury. And you know, people will pay for for a quarterback, uh, like a starting type quarterback. To me, Tyler Huntley, there's something special about him. Yeah, what is Young what is kid, it specifically that you like about him? He's he's a really really strong pocket passer, really strong. Um, he's 23 years old and hasn't you know I, I i don't know how he slid under the radar maybe because he's barely 61 maybe because in interview processes he doesn't look traditionally what you think of when you think of like oh we're going to put this guy out front on the podium but i i love everything about him i mean i'm i'm uh i don't know i'm not saying he's des- ready to go but if you're if you're looking like you were just saying Tyrod Taylor and whoever else is on that list uh, i would if it were me, I would be taking him and his film to my scouts, to my quarterback coach, to my coordinators and saying, hey, grade this guy. Tell me what you think. Because I have graded him. I graded him in the month of December. In the month of December, um, you know, this is before last game. He had three touchdowns, no interceptions. He ran for two more touchdowns. The only quarterback in the entire NFL that had a better QBR than Tyler Huntley was Aaron Rodgers. Like it, it, and their teams are losing, so like the media hype isn't following him. But he went toe to toe with a JV team of the Baltimore Ravens with all their injuries, toe to toe with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, and it came down to a two point conversion. And quite honestly, it was just the worst play call I've ever seen. And you know, like 
that was all him pretty much. So I, I, I like him. I, I think he's got a future. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, anyway, I watched like a I lot said, of that game actually this week against the Rams. That game was on here in Seattle. So I was watching a lot of that before the Seahawks yeah. game. He looked pretty darn yeah. good. I mean, like he, he looks like an NFL quarterback. That's for sure. And if he's going to be available, that's a, certainly an interesting, you know, an interesting possibility. It's interesting also to me that, it seems like a lot of these guys have regressed in the last few years, right? If you put some of the names back onto the faces, right? The whether it's Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold, and mm. why, why have we seen some of these guys who've had either you know great hype or great early success start to start to regress? Well, I'll just say for Baker Mayfield, he tore his labrum, had a fracture in his shoulder. I, I had this injury that he has. Okay, I had this injury, and it happened maybe like week three or four. I think it was week four. Um, or maybe I talked about it week four or five. And I, and basically I was like, Hey, he's wearing this shoulder harness on his left shoulder. There's like, there's like such a slim chance. He's going to be able to be an accurate thrower the whole rest of the season. Mm. Like I've had that injury. I'm not a doctor, but I'm just telling you, like I have had that injury. I've had that surgery. Good luck. Like if you can get out there and do it great, but if you can't go ahead and have your off season surgery right now. And to me, that I'm like, feel like I'm staring at a guy who can't cut it loose and throw accurately to the left or to the right because of the pain that he's trying to to fight through. So, I mean, would I throw him out as a terrible player all of a sudden? No. But am I surprised um, how poorly he has played? Kinda. I mean, this was a first place team in that division, a good division, and because their quarterback hasn't been able been able to play well through that injury, it's uh, you know there's all kinds of crazy discussions going on about him. But he'll be back there. I think they'll give him an opportunity to see what he can do healthy, and um, you know, just a huge disappointment for for him and for them. All right, good stuff, Matt Hasselbeck, and uh, something tells me we'll be talking more about that name uh, over the course of the next few days and weeks. In the meantime, it's almost ranking time, Matt. We are ready. You've got a good one for today. It is uh, spawned from something. What do we have? The 30, 30 years? Is that what you said? Mm, 30 years? 30 years. That's, I don't think I could be that old. Seems, 30 seems like a lot. 20 years? Eight, 18, 18 years. 18 years. All right. Well, it's a, I don't know. There's some year. We've got, a, we've got an anniversary. 2004. And it, it, it was 2004. That sounds like 18 years. Not quite 30, but it's next. Mike Salk Show with Matt Hasselbeck, 710 ESPN Seattle. Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwarmfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is Ranked. To be honest, that list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on the Mike Salk Show. That top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. Yeah, we try to rank things at 945 and even more fun when Matt Hasselbeck is with us, as he is today, of course, Wednesdays, with Matt. All right, Matt, it was... um, you brought this up. I want to be very clear. I did not bring this up. 18. <laughs> Everyone's going to think I'm just like needling you because that's what I would do to Brock, but I'm not. I didn't bring this up. I didn't even know. 18 years ago today, is that what you said? 18 years ago yesterday, yesterday. was we went the ball. We're gonna, we were going to we want to score. Um, Seahawks at Packers 2003 season. Uh, we go to overtime. On our second possession, not our first possession. On our right. second possession, I throw a pick six to Al Harris, loses the game, and uh, good learning lesson. I don't regret a dang thing about the coin toss, not even for a second. But uh, but yeah, that was the anniversary. So with that, right. we were struggling coming up with a ranked. I said, well, the Seahawks aren't going to the playoffs. 
let's do wild card top wild card games that i was a part of because it's wild card football is a great weekend and it's going to be a great weekend again this year so that was right. the that was the idea so, so wild number five card games that you played in ranked yeah, listen, that in that 03 Al Harris game was an awesome game. Like I love watching that game. It's a, it's a shame we didn't uh win that game cuz we would have stopped the Eagles the next week on 4th and 26. I, I'm I'm very confident in that. So we but but I don't I don't regret it. I it, it was a great game. But number 5, I'm going to go to the very next year because we learned, I learned and we learned something from that 03 game and that very next year we're playing at home against the St. Louis Rams and again, an amazing game, great little shootout, awesome players on both sides of the team. We end up losing by a touchdown, 27-20. I threw a pass, a little too much heat to Bobby Ingram in the front of the end zone and uh we didn't get it done i end the the game like pounding my fists in the turf but i believe it was that loss in 03 and that loss in 04 that really propelled me and then propelled us to what was to come in 05 which uh which which never would have happened without those losses and i think even the way we lost is that sort of that idea of a team has to learn how to win you know, for me, it was just it was it was a lot of different things, but we were so close we could taste it. Yeah. It wasn't like oh we lost, oh well we lost. No, no, we were right there, overtime against a team that everyone said was way better than us. Or the next the next year, seven point loss, dropped the ball in the end zone mm-hmm. uh, against the greatest show on turf. Like we're every bit as good as, as these guys, and that was the message from Mike Holmgren. I see it. You guys are good enough. You don't believe it. I need you to start believing it. I need you to start talking that way, acting that way, working that way, and it'll happen. So, um, I don't know. I, I sort of uh, I appreciate those losses for what they were to, to help us get where we were trying to go. I think the same was part two in 2012 for the Seahawks and the, the loss Russ's for rookie year uh, to the Falcons. I think that probably had a, a similar result. All right, number five. No no let's doubt. go to number four. Okay, number four, I'm going back to my rookie year. This was the Green Bay Packers at the San Francisco 49ers, Mike Holmgren's last last game coaching as a Packer. This is the game that sent him to Seattle. Steve Young drops back, almost falls down, hits T.O., in the middle of the field, we had the perfect coverage on, should have been covered, but because Steve Young kind of stumbled and almost falls to the ground, our defense settles their feet a little bit. T.O. catches the ball. He had like five drops that game, didn't drop this one. And in the <laughs> locker room after the game in San Fran, everyone's crying. The coaches are crying. I'm like, I'm a rookie. Hey, you guys went to the last two Super Bowls. We lost in the playoffs. We'll be back next year. Everyone in the locker room except me knew that Mike Holmgren was probably going to the Seattle Seahawks to be their next head coach and GM. And that was it. Had we won that game, I don't know if Mike Holmgren ever shows up in Seattle. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But uh, that was an incredible game as well. Instant classic. I wonder what happens, too. If he doesn't go to Seattle and they keep him in Green Bay and he and Favre stay together, what happens to Matt Hasselbeck? Does anyone else ever figure out what you have in you? Uh, like I said earlier with Tyler Huntley, trade bait. When you don't need your backup quarterback and you have other needs, mm. you trade your backups. That's why it's good to invest in the position, in my opinion. But All right, number three. Number three, I, I'm going to choose Dallas at Seattle 2006 season. That was a 21-20 game. That's the game that Tony Romo blew the snap as the holder. Kind of changed the NFL, I think, in a way because quarterbacks were no longer the holders very often after that. You know, they gave that, that job to somebody else to be usually the punter. But uh, that was an incredible game as well. I mean, again... 
good players on both sides of the ball. I'm just thinking of like how that game could have gone. It's my belief, though, that even if they would have made that field goal, they would have Bill Parcells would have squib kicked it. We would have been in position to get down into field goal range. We had a great field goal operation that year. I think we still win that game one way or the other. But coming out of that backed up, Sean Alexander put a move on Roy Williams, number 31 there, safety that that sealed the game for us. So that that was a fun game. Mm. It's still just, I don't know, the, the whole, like, the image of it happening. We just played the sound of it the other day. Do we have it? Just because it was John Madden who was on the call, right? I think we have this. Here you go. Romo holds. 19-yard field goal attempt. Oh, it is fumbled by Romo. And then Romo's going to run to the end zone. And he's going to get tackled by Jordan Babino. Amazing. Unbelievable. How crazy is this? There is nothing automatic in football. Pretty true. That is awesome. Hard to argue with John Madden there. All right, let's get to what are we, and, number and two. Big, big play Babs on the backside. Running them down. Great job. Number two. Okay, I don't know if you remember this game. Kansas City Chiefs at Indianapolis Colts. I'm on the Colts at the time. 45-44. It was the second largest comeback in NFL history. I'm on the sidelines. We're getting smoked. We're just thinking, how do we get out of here without being embarrassed? And... Uh, and, and there's a lot of things I could say about this game, okay? But at one point, we're in no huddle. And I notice on their sideline that they're just hand-signaling everything They're because we're in such a fast tempo. So I'm like, wait a sec. We have two guys on our special teams that, uh, that used to play for the Kansas City Chiefs and for this defensive coordinator. I go grab them, a linebacker and a DB. I'm like, hey, stand here next to me. Tell me what these signals are. See if they haven't changed them. And they start telling me they didn't change any of their signals. So they would tell me what the signal was, and I started screaming out into the field, cover two, cover two, quarters, you got man, you got blitz, like whatever it was. We're just screaming out their <laughs> signals out loud because I got like two guys that used to play for them. And I, I think it helped our comeback. I think it helped our comeback. So that was a, that was an epic moment. Every time I see that replay on like NFL films, I'm like, wow. Uh, it doesn't that, even those, count as sign stealing. You, you, you just they were just giving it to you. <laughs> I mean, that's a, you, if you think these old uh, veteran coaches in the NFL change their signals every year, there's no chance. They haven't changed in 20 You're years. You're like the turf. All right. Number one. Greatest. I mean, there's only there's got to be right. Number one. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely biased here. 41-36, the Beast Quake game. Right. No one gave us a chance. We were 7-9. and nine. You shouldn't get to host a playoff game. We got to go all the way out there to southern Alaska. The disrespect was so real. Our crowd brought it. Our team brought it and shocked the world. The Beast Quake, uh, you know, with seismic activity, that was, uh, that was a wild card game for the ages and uh, ended up being my last home game ever as a Seattle Seahawks. So very special to me. It's a pretty good list. It's a great list. Fun, fun hour. Thank you, Matt. This is uh, great as always. We'll do it again next week. How's that sound? I can't wait. You know what else I can't wait for? Lunch. I'm ready for it. <laughs> Are you even going to eat anything? <laughs> oh, yeah. Big meal. Seven meals a day. Let's go. Wait, I Let's thought you were eat. not eating. Oh, just no carbs. L- less carbs. Oh. Not, not, no. Yeah. Come on. So Everything what are you going to have? What, what is it? Like just a chicken patty or something? No, it's like it's legit. Legit, legit. I don't know. It's on a, it's on a sheet. I got to go make it. That's part of the fun. <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> All right. See you, Matt. We'll talk next week. There's Matt All Hasselbeck. Right. We do this every Wednesday at 9 o'clock. I'll be back tomorrow morning, of course, at 6 a.m. Jeesh. We'll talk to you then. Goodbye.